Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. You can find Activize on Amazon, at Walmart, and on Ironman.com. This podcast is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but also in life. I'll talk to successful people who have jumped over all kinds of hurdles to get to where they are today and make sure they find their finish line. And I am so excited about the show today. I have former world champion, TV commentator, coach, mentor, motivational speaker, Siri Lindley on right now. Hi, Siri. Hello, Mike. I have been looking forward to this. You know how much I love you, and I cannot wait for what's ahead. Well, I love you too. And yeah, our schedules are, you know, some people say they're a joke, which sometimes they are. It's hard to get together and, and get it all done. But what Siri and I are going to do today, we're going to do like a dueling pianos. We're going to do a dueling podcast interview. I'm going to ask, she's going to ask. I'm going to ask, she's going to ask. So we're going to kind of kill two birds with one stone here and interview one another uh, I've never done this before. Siri, have you ever done this before? I've never done this before. So we're just going to find our way today. It's going to be fun. I, I think so. We'll, we'll learn a lot, I think, about each other because it's no holds bar. We can ask whatever we want uh, within reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I, I say that and go, oh, no, not me. Maybe you. <laughs> you can ask anything, well, Mike. I know, I know. Okay, we're going to try to pull this off. Well, I'm going to be selfish and say me first. All right, Siri Lindley, what keeps you motivated? And why does your battery never lose its charge? Wow, okay. Well, I could ask you the same question, but, you know, it's this gift of life. Especially now, you know, I came so close to losing my life a couple years ago. And now that I am alive, Every single moment, I just think about what a gift it is, what a miracle it is, and that gives me energy. Gratitude gives you energy. So um, that's where I would say I get my charge all day long. The horses as well. We live on a ranch. We rescue horses. They give me energy, and um, those are probably the two biggest things. What about you, Mr. Mike Riley? I mean, 19 hours at the Hawaii Ironman finish line, at, at any Ironman finish line, what keeps you going for 19 hours? I don't get it. Sometimes, sometimes I, really, I really don't, and sometimes I don't get it. But then when I get there, Siri, when I'm in the moment, and I see the looks on the athletes' faces when I'm able to proclaim, proclaim what they are and know that just like you, everybody's got a backstory that they had struggles. So to be able to tell them that, and personally, and, and know that their family and friends are hearing it too, because they've gone on that journey with that person. Uh, it, it makes those hours go by in almost a blink. Sometimes I look at my watch and go, oh my gosh, we only have two hours to go. And they just, like, what happened? So uh, it's daunting at first. To, like right now, when you say that, I've got Ironman Alaska this Sunday, I'm thinking, oh my God, can I do that again? But but then I get there and it's like, okay, here we go. So I, it's the it's the athletes and their passion when they when they come across that. And line. it feels That's good to give, is. I imagine, Mike. I mean, here you are, um, you're giving a gift to every single one of these competitors. And I don't know about you, but I find that the more I give, the more energy I have. And um, yeah, giving just gives you energy. And you talk, uh, Siri, about energy because obviously you're here. You went through a struggle. What did, what did Siri Lindley learn about herself through that cancer bout? Oh, my God. So much that I, you know, people ask me if you could change it, would you change it? And I said I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, the things I've learned about myself, the things I've learned about life, I think one of the, and this is going to get a little bit deep, but... For a whole lifetime, I mean, 50 years, I thought that when I achieved things, when I was giving, when I was doing something for others, you know, when I was doing, you know, something big, that's why I was loved. And suddenly I get this 
deadly disease that knocked me to my knees and suddenly I needed to be taken care of. Suddenly I couldn't be inspiring. I couldn't be achieving. I couldn't be helping and doing and giving to others because I was fighting for my own life. But the greatest gift is that nobody left. I actually thought people would, that my wife would leave me because I'm no longer, I'm no longer achieving. I'm no longer giving. I'm a problem. I'm a burden. But she loved me more than ever. And so after 50 years of thinking my worth lay inside of my accomplishments or what I did for other people, I realized that I'm loved for me. I'm loved for my heart. I'm loved for my soul. I'm loved for my spirit. I'm loved for who I am. And I tell you what, that's the most incredible gift. And in that, I learned how to receive. You know, I think probably you're the same, Mike, where... You give, you give, you give, you give, you give until you have nothing left to give. But the thing is that when you learn how to receive, it's like breathing. You inhale, you exhale, you inhale, you exhale. If you don't, you're going to die. And I learned how to receive on this journey. And that has enabled me to be able to give that much more. Great. You're up. Okay, my turn. (laughs) Okay, Mike, you are seeing... You know, every single race, you're seeing these incredible human beings overcoming challenges, achieving things they never thought that they could. What is one challenge that you could look upon as requiring the same amount of grit and belief and and persistence as Iron Man that has happened in your life? Oh, gosh, it's, it's everyday life. You know, not every... Every day is a race day and a finish line. So uh, to maintain strong relationships with, you know, my wife Rose, strong relationship with my children and my grandchildren, it, it's, it's life. So when I go to a race and I, I see what these people and these great athletes ha- have done, uh, I, it teaches me to make sure I keep a solid life going. And I hope it teaches other people the same thing. It, it, it's great training and it's great being able to start be at a start line and go to a finish line. But that's such a small part of our lives. Sure. It, it's something we can, we can depend on. It's something that we think about and it motivates us through the day. So it, it it's really, uh, you know, the toughest challenge, it's life. It's going through life every day. And then what I'll do sometimes if I'm down on myself or I'm having a bad day, I'll, Oh my gosh, let's think about that last race. And someone will pop into my head, some finisher or some story I know about her finishing or him overcoming the swim scared he had, you know, and I'll think about that and I go, what, what am I bitching about? Let's go. Let's get on with the day. So that, that's what it is for me. Amazing. Exactly what it is Amazing. for me. Amazing. I love that. So what do you think, what do you think your key ingredient is in maintaining Strong personal relationships, not only with back your wife, but maintaining strong personal relationships in your life. What do you think that key ingredient is for you? God, I love that question. Presence. Presence. And what that means to me is, you know, as I'm here with you, Mike, I am just here with you. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not, you know, wondering what's coming next. I'm here with you and I want to enjoy this experience with you. When I'm with my wife, I am with her completely. I'm listening. You know, we're talking. I see her. I feel like with anything in life, and it's not just relationships. Think about uh, for these athletes, a training session. If you're going about doing a training session, but you're thinking about all the chores you have to do when you get home, what you forgot to do earlier, what you have left to do at work, you're going to get maybe 50% out of that session. But if in that hour, two hours that you have to train, you're only focusing on every pedal stroke or every run step and what you're doing in that moment to be the best you, you will get so much more out of that training session. And I'll tell you a little story that, that will be of interest to everyone here. The first year, actually it was the second year that my athlete Marinda Carfrey raced the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. She'd come in second the first year, and this was her second year, and she was there. She wanted to win the race, and it's the day before, and I'm thinking, God, you know, what am I going to say in in this, like, pre-race, you know, talk that we have tonight, and I walked by this yoga studio. 
I'd never done yoga in my life, but something drew me inside and I went into this class. It was a hot yoga class and I'm falling all over the place. No balance whatsoever. (laughs) And everyone else is looking like, you know, professional yogi. And I thought to myself, okay, Siri, just like focus only on what this pose is, what your body needs to look like and do in order to stay still. Just be present. And when I did that, suddenly I'm holding these poses and I'm feeling like a professional yogi and it clicked. I'm like, that's what I'm going to talk to Rini about. I'm just going to say that this race, if you can just be fully present with yourself and what you're doing in every single moment, string together as many moments fully present with you and you're going to have an amazing day. And that was my talk and she ended up winning. That was her first Ironman World Championship, but Um, presence in everything is going to lead you to, you know, the best moments in relationships. It will lead to a deeper, more fulfilling relationship, and it will lead to you performing to the best of your ability. If whatever it is that you're doing in any moment, you are fully present for that and that alone. I love it. Presence. I want to ask you the same question, Mike. Wait, I forgot the question. So the question is, what is the most important uh, ingredient to creating extraordinary relationships, whether it be with your wife, Rose, with your kids, with your grandkids, or with your work? Not to be selfish, to stay humble. You know, it's very easy when you get into the world uh, that we're in and People come up to you and say these great things, and sometimes I I, I think, wow, that I, I didn't see that coming, and and you know it can fill you up. It fills you up with pleasure and joy that you feel like you're doing a great job. But then all of a sudden, sometimes it can push you on the other side. Hey, I'm a pretty good guy. I I do this well, and yada yada yada. And all of a sudden, something else starts losing in your life, whether it is a relationship or something you may say to a friend that you shouldn't have said. So staying unselfish and staying humble, uh, I I think that's the two biggest things that I've learned from it all. Because, you know, at the end of the day, when you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody whom you may have just just met or whom you've known for 10 years, it's about them. Mm -hmm. And and when it's about them, it becomes about both of you then. Then it's good. It's solid. It's... It's uh, foundational. It is uh, healthy. Uh, so I think being unselfish and staying humble are the two things that I always have to tell myself. I always, every day, have to say, come on now, get back to it, get back to it. Because like all of us, you know, we can wander away sometimes. It's just who we are. It's human nature. And uh, having that in my mind, it kind of brings me back to my to my center. Amazing. To my center. I love that. One, my greatest mentor, Tony Robbins, always says, relationships are a place you go to give, not to get. And just like what you just said, you know, when you go to a relationship to give, you're autom- you're gun- they're going to want to give back. And that's the only way to go. If you go to a relationship to get something, to receive something, it's never going to work. So I love that, Mike. Never, Amazing. Never going to work. Well, it, it's fantastic that you mentioned Tony because uh, I had seen him in Del Mar, oh my gosh, years ago, kind of when he was just starting out. But what I want to ask you is, since you've been on the stage uh, before he's come on stage, you've been on the stage with him, uh, you know, thousands of people in the audience, uh, giving, a, giving a great talk of motivation and inspiration. What the heck is it like to go on a stage uh, in front of a large audience, in front of Tony Robbins, for goodness sake. Is that, is that a little, da- was it a little daunting for first? Very. <laughs> and uh, I'll start by saying, how did I even get there? And, you yeah. know, I, I had no ideas of wanting to be a, a speaker on stage or anything like that. Never even thought about it. And I'd done a podcast with Tony, his podcast, and it ended up being one of the most downloaded podcasts in the history of his podcast, like 4 million downloads. And he had an event coming up, this Leadership Academy in in, uh, Coronado Beach, out near where you are. And one of the speakers couldn't 
speak on that day. So he said, Siri, I've got, it's an hour and a half slot. Can you come out and speak? Now, I'd never given a speech in my entire life. But like, you don't say no to Tony Robbins. So I'll never forget, I get to this place, and this was one of his smaller events, there were only two and a half thousand people, but that was like a lot. And I'm planning and planning for like five days, standing behind the curtain before they call my name. And I just, my heart's pounding, I'm sweating, I'm shaking. And I went out there and I didn't say a word of what I had rehearsed, nothing. And I actually don't remember anything that I said for that hour and a half. Now, thank God it went well. And what I learned from that is it's not about whether I do a good job. Did I give a good speech? Did I succeed? How can I be a gift? How can I be a blessing to these people that I have this privilege and honor of being able to speak to on my greatest mentor stage. And I think that that, you know, right after my bone marrow transplant, actually one of the first speeches I did when I was recovering was he did this comeback challenge. And as he's introducing me, sorry, there's a fly. As he was introducing me, he said, Siri, I give you 839,000 people. And I was just like, I felt like I froze. And I look back, I didn't freeze, but inside I froze. But again, I just had to say to myself, like, it's not about me. He's asking me to speak for a reason. He's asking me to share something that can be a blessing, can be a gift to these people. And because if I didn't think that way, Mike, I think I would just panic and freeze. I really do, because it's not something I, I had trained for or dreamt of doing Um, But I just feel like it's such a gift. It's such a privilege. Um, This man has truly impacted my life in just the most profound ways. And to be asked to serve on his mission, which is just helping people get out of their own way and live their best lives, um, it's just the ultimate privilege. So I feel super blessed. Um, I I look back, I can't believe that I do what I do, um, but it really is a privilege. So let me ask you, Mike, when you know, because with, and I loved your last answer about being humble and and staying unselfish, the things that you do and the, the reason why people come up and thank you for what you've brought into their lives, like that's a responsibility that the work that you have done and you being as amazingly impactful with the work that you do, does that feel like a big responsibility to you? Does that feel like something that it's a responsibility or does it feel like, uh, what does it feel like to you? How, what, how do you, what meaning do you give it? That's an interesting question because when you mentioned the word responsibility, it kind of is is a little bit of a negative for me because it it says, all right, I'm responsible for this and this has to happen this way and this has to happen almost like a like a job or a job interview or sitting in the cube at work for eight hours and I've got the responsibility of getting this report out. So I I, I think I purposely don't think about it as a responsibility. I think about it as 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 an honor to be able to do what I do. And, you know, I break it down, Siri, in simplest terms. Uh, (laughs) They've gone through everything. They've gone through the hell of the training. They've gone through the sacrifice, being away from family. They've gone through the things that other people told them they couldn't do and they're doing. They've done that. So what I do is I put that exclamation point on the end of their journey. So I think that's why it's so important because they want someone, sure, their spouses and their kids and their aunts and uncles and friends are going to tell them, oh my gosh, you're fantastic. You finished that sprint triathlon or you finished that Ironman or you ran 100 miles, whatever it may be. They know they're going to get that accolade from their family. But for some reason, when I tell them what they want to hear at the finish line, it is like the cake now has icing on it. And I can enjoy it. I, I've worked that hard. And, and 
I, it's very hard sometimes for me to put it into words. I get emotional about it because of some of the things people have said to me that it's changed their lives. I, I, Mike Riley didn't change their life at the finish line. They changed their lives, and they realized that, but they needed somebody to validate it. And, and I guess since I've been the voice of validation for so long in this sport that, you know, they, they want to keep coming to it. So, yes, while it's a responsibility, I don't say to myself, oh, my gosh, I've got this responsibility. Because then that kind of scares yeah. me. Like, it puts me into a different mode that I don't want to be in. Kind of a, I, I get angst right now thinking about, oh, it's my responsibility. And nobody's ever really, thank goodness, in the sport or, you know, people that run the events go, Mike, it's a responsibility. You got to call every name. I think if somebody said that to me, I'd freak out. <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God. So I, I do what I do from the heart. And, and I think that that takes care of that takes care of my responsibility. That's how I look at it. Mike, I love that. So it's exactly how I feel like you. You are a gift to these people. You, you are a blessing. You are, you know, they will forever remember this greatest achievement of theirs. You're, you're there. Some of the, you know, it's interesting, Siri. Some of the, you know, talking at a race and everything, it comes natural. But when I've given speeches or gone on a stage and talked to a group of people, whether they're salespeople or whomever, or technologists, uh, knowing that there may be two people out of a thousand that's done a triathlon. I love that challenge of going in and doing the conversion, the converting and showing them there's a different world out there that they can achieve anything they want to achieve uh, because of our sport, because of triathlon, because of the stories I've seen. So even though it's very easy for me to go onto a stage and at an award ceremony in Kona, a little scary because it's, I always, oh my God, am I doing this? But to go on a stage where everybody out there, like you, when you go on, they don't know what the ITU World Championship was, you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. But you, you, you fill them with, with the, the knowledge that there's something greater out there than themselves. And when they realize that, they become greater. Amazing. So. Amazing. Whose turn? My turn? Oh yeah, my turn. So Siri, what gives you more satisfaction? coaching or being an athlete back in the day what what really ring, rings your bell when it when it comes to you know the satisfaction factor of feeling good about yourself was it winning the world championships and the world cups and being a great athlete representing the US or the pure part of coaching coaching like such an easy answer coaching that, that was a quick easy Just answer so easy for me to answer i mean I believe I had to have my eight years as an athlete and to, you know, live that journey where I achieve something that at a time seems so impossible. I had to do that to be able to do my passion, which is coaching others. And because I had to find a way, I had to find a way through all my failures not giving up, you know, changing my approach, doing things differently, you know, kind of becoming the master of my mindset to the best of my ability at that point in time. And as soon as I found what I was looking for, which basically I'll try and make a long story super short, my journey in triathlon wasn't really about triathlon. It was that I was on this desperate mission to prove to myself that I was worthy, that I could do something that I thought was special, that I could inspire people, that I could make a difference, and, and most importantly, that I could love myself. I'd been, my dad found out I was gay. He cut me out of his life. He was my hero, and I was left feeling like, now that I'm gay, I'm worthless, and triathlon was the vehicle through which I would find a love and respect for myself. So when I achieved that goal, when I won the world championship, I found what I was looking for. Like I was ready to retire on that day. Um, but what happened is, you know, we all have that inner critic that is, you know, not very nice. And I knew that after a couple months, my inner critic would come out and say, well, maybe that was just a fluke. Maybe you got lucky. And this was so important to me 
this, this worthiness from within that I put together one more year and I said to myself, Siri, you're just going to go out. You're going to do the best that you can. Let's try and hold on to this number one in the world ranking. Thank God I was able to do that. It nearly killed me because I was so ready to finish the year before, but I was able to retire at number one in the world. All I wanted was to meet other people like me that, you know, I didn't know how to swim when I fell in love with the sport. And I could have told myself the story as I think many people do. Well, I don't know how to swim, so I can't do a triathlon. And that's just a story, right? So I changed the story to say, well, I'm an athlete and and I've got great work ethic and I want to do this. This matters to me so I can do a triathlon. And I wanted to work with people like that. You know, Marinda Carfrey was a basketball player. Had never really swum before. Like now that I prove to myself that what seems impossible is really possible, I wanted to show other people that too. And I tell you what, Marinda winning her first Ironman World Championship was like the greatest moment of my life to that point. And I remember thinking that, wow, I mean, winning my own world championship, that was like beyond words. It was amazing. But this, working together with someone, bringing out the best in someone, helping guide someone to achieve something that only seems like a dream, there's there's nothing more um, powerful than that. So for me, I mean, that's it. And I will forever be a coach because it's what drives me. It's my passion. It's my mission. So yeah, long answer. If you, yeah, I know, you know, Siri, if you don't mind, I, I really have to ask a follow-up question to that. <laughs> okay. So from the world championships and the athlete and, and the rejection and, you know, my heart just pulls for you and, and it happens still today, which is, which is sad, but it's getting better. Where, where was that turning point for you from that time on the rejection from dad to the time, you know, Marinda won, was it, was it slow, a slow progression? Did something turn on? You know what? I am worth something. I am a good human. Was it overnight? How did that progression happen? Did you feel it or just one day you go, you know what? I'm good. I was earning my respect every single day, not by, because I was not good for a long time. I was terrible. My first race, I came in dead last. You know, I, I really didn't start succeeding for a while, but it was after the Olympic trials in 2000 where I choked and I quit. I quit the race. Can you imagine the Olympic trials? Probably the lowest of low that I had ever been. But what happened is, I suddenly thought about, you know, we often think about how far we have to go and we get super discouraged. And instead I thought, my God, six years ago, I didn't even know how to swim. And I'm here at the Olympic trials, like, oh my God. And in that moment, I suddenly started feeling like this pride in the fact that, God, I have humiliated myself but I've gotten back up every single time, dusted myself off, never gave up, and I keep going. Like I suddenly felt this real appreciation for my resilience, for my relentlessness, for my belief, for my never giving up. And that's the first time where I started feeling like this appreciation for myself. And from there, you know, it's in our greatest failures and disappointments. That's when we learn the most. That's when we... we grow the most. And that's when we make the the most progress. And it was after that, that I made some changes and had some new perspective that led to me uh, winning. But it it was a process. And I, and I want to say like, you know, my dad and I are now we're back together. He calls me every single day. What that took was me at the end of this journey realizing that I wouldn't have achieved any of this if that hadn't happened. His rejection was actually a gift. He was exactly the father I needed him to be to become the woman that I'm really proud to be today. And once I realized that, 
I wanted to forgive him because, you know, when we forgive, yes, it's for that person. But more importantly, when we forgive, it's for us. We become free. We no longer have excuses as to why we're not as successful as we wanted to be, why we haven't had the loving relationship we want. Like when we don't forgive, it just gives us an excuse and that's disempowering. So when I forgave my father, you know, I set myself free to truly live my life to the highest levels that the way I wanted to live my life. And he cried. He said how sorry he was. He said how proud he was of me. He'd been following my career for 25 years. And, you know, I had my father back. And forgiveness was the key to that. And so anyone out there that has someone that they blame for all the bad in their lives, like you got to also blame them for the good. Because when you realize that you wouldn't be who you are today if it wasn't for that person, forgiving them is for you. It'll set you free. So, sorry, that was a lot of answers. Mike, it's my turn now. But um, Perfect, perfect. Though. Oh, my God. Wow. I, but did I even answer your question? Yes, you did. It, there was, you don't realize how powerful that was. And I think that message that so many out there is going to be heard and needs to be heard. So... No, thank you for that share, and thank you for opening up your heart. Now it's your yes, turn, it my dear. So <laughs> I would like to know, I mean, there are so many stories, and I have your book right here, by the way. Anyone who has oh, 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 and by the way, oh, <laughs> you can't one-up me. I've got servicing right here, so don't you dare one-up no, me. There we this, go. <laughs> I mean, this book, so beautiful, so powerful. What thank story... You. And I know there's so many, and this is probably impossible to answer, but what story touched you the deepest and why? Like, what story truly almost changed you? Uh, it's, you know, it's the story of Grace McDonald, who we lost at Sandy Hook Elementary, and she was a kindergartner. And meeting her before with her mom and dad and brother at Lake Placid, and, and I don't, I, you know, people ask me that and it's, you know, obviously somebody lost their life. The family was beat up terribly because of it on and on and on. And, but I, I saw the resilience of that family of mom and dad and brother. Uh, I just, just called dad an Iron Man again in Lake Placid two weekends ago. And mom was there and big brother was there now, you know, and, and at every race I wear, the Grace wristband, practice Aloha with her name on it at every race I announce. So that touched me, and and I think Siri, the biggest reason was because you know I'm I was a dad, I'm a dad, and you put yourself in their place. Could could I ever survive? Could my wife and I ever survive if we lost a child? And right away I go, no, no way. There's no way. There's no way. You know, and but but they did, and. They've taught a lot of families in their situation and ones later on that there is survival out there. Very difficult, but there's survival out there. So that one, that one really touched me. The other one was Frank Farrar. Frank Farrar would always come to Ironman Wisconsin. I, I really didn't know a lot about him. I knew he did a lot of triathlons in that area. When I first met him, he was in his uh, early 60s and he'd finished Wisconsin. He was bow-legged. He wore these big goggles. It was almost kind of funny watching him, but talking to him, he was just a joy to talk to. And then the next year I went to Wisconsin, I find out he used to be the governor of North Dakota oh my. and that he owns five businesses and that he flies. Now, you know, he's in his late 60s and he's flying his own airplane to the races. That's just what he does. And he just would thrill crowds and, and I'd bring him up on the stage at the welcome ceremony to talk to everybody and he was a man of simple words, but when he said something, it's like everybody was listening. And we lost him. We lost him last year. They did a big uh, ceremony at the Capitol Rotunda in uh, Rapid City, the capital of North Dakota. And, and I got, the family called me and I gave a recording. And then I listened to the, saw the funeral service live from the Rotunda of the Capitol. And the first voice I heard was me. They played my tape first because everybody knew he was an Iron Man. I broke down like a little baby. I'm going, I don't deserve, they, they don't, oh my gosh, and, and the accomplishments of him. So Frank Farrar, in my heart of hearts, he's always going to be with me. And, 
And uh, so those two stories have always stuck with me. But some of the toughest parts was some of the stories I had to leave out because yeah. you know, I couldn't wa- write War and Peace. But uh, maybe maybe I'll do another I one. I think you so, need yeah, like stories. five more books, Mike, so that you can capture <laughs> all that. of them. I mean, truly. How about if I how about if I dictate to you and you do the writing? Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> oh nothing. Although it would be fun. That would be fun. I would love to hear all this. <laughs> Amazing. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. I just finished up a run and activized the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. Keeps me going. Don't let strain and pain keep you from your training, keep you from finding your finish line. Activites comes in three different applications, roll-on, spray, and gel. Check out all the products on Amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and have Activites help you find your finish line. You are just a bundle of joy. I just love watching your, I love watching your, your social media posts on the, on the ranch and the rescue and but you have to have Siri Lindley has to have down days or you know you're going down that hill what do you do to pull yourself out of it yes yeah, sure i mean it happens to all of us but i i made a decision after i survived aml that i didn't want to suffer i don't want to suffer in my life you know pain happens but suffering's optional and so when i find myself um feeling not great, I'll ask myself, well, what are you focusing on, Siri? Like, what what are you focusing on? And I'll find I'm focusing on something that's missing or that I don't have or something that somebody else did that I have no control over, or I'm focusing on what I don't want to have happen or a problem. And in that moment, I advocate for myself and I was like, well, we don't want to suffer. So instead, I changed the channel to what I have, what I love, what I want to create, what I have all the control over, which is my own experience of life in every single moment. And I get to choose, you know, to focus on possible solutions rather than the problem at hand. So it's redirecting myself, but that takes, you know, standing guard at the gates of your mind and saying, what am I going to let in and what am I not? And so it's true. You know, I, I have moments, but I won't stay there because I don't want to suffer. And that's up to you. And it's not some special thing I have. Like each and every one of you can do this. It's you get to decide what to focus on. You get to decide what meaning to give anything that happens to you in any given moment. And you get to decide what to do about it. So focus on things that empower you, like what you have, what you can appreciate, what you love, what you want to create, what you have control over, and that automatically will see you headed in the direction you want to go. And I know that sounds crazy, but Mike, you know, I'm actually writing my second book. I'm writing every word myself, and it's called Finding a Way. And this is something that I had to learn, and I had to become a master of my mindset in this way because I had suffered too much for too long. And we all reach a threshold. And when you realize that it's all in your hands, it is all in your hands. Your experience of life is all in your hands. Once you realize that, it's a matter of saying, okay, well, you know what? I am no longer going to live a story in my life that's a tragedy. I'm going to live a story that will be one of triumph. And it takes conditioning, it takes role-playing it, it takes becoming that person that can live that story in life. But this is what I do on a daily basis. In every single moment, I am directing myself to focus on things, give meaning to things that empower me rather than disempower me. What about... I love that. You don't want to suffer. I absolutely love that. Plus, I love... You're writing again. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for that I finished. One. I can't wait. I finished. It's oh, in the editor's really? So my first book, I had an amazing Julia Polarino help me write the book. Yeah. This time, yeah. I decided to do something that was really scary, and I was going to, I wrote it 
myself and it's all done. It just oh, is in the editor's hands, but super, super excited. It's uh, very vulnerable, but it's, um, it's an incredible guide on how to find a way through challenge and to find a way towards achieving things that seem impossible. I can't wait to dive into that. So thanks. Mike. For doing it. Yes. What do you think is the number one thing that Rose fell in love with when she met you? <laughs> should I should I bring no, her in? No, I want that from your perspective, which I'm sure you know. I, you know, sometimes I have a hard time remembering yesterday. We we got together 47 years ago, so <laughs> actually longer than that. We've been married 47 years, but we dated through uh, end of high school and college. So, uh, what did she fall in love with with Mike Riley? Oh my gosh, I I hopefully would think that just me. She kind of knew who I was and. And, uh, you know, I was a wrestler and I had some guns, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I think we, we came up, you know, in, in Toledo, Ohio and in, in an upbringing that was very similar. And I think we just, we gravitated towards one another and it was interesting. They all old cliche of we'll date somebody else in college, but you know, yeah, it worked for a while and then boom, we were back together again. I think. She realized, like I did, we were just kind of made for each yeah. other. I mean, it's just how it was. It was, you know, it, it, your friends would say, oh, yeah, Rose and Mike, Rose and Mike, Rose and Mike, it, you know. And, and uh, not to say we haven't gone through challenging times and, you know, 47 years and raising the kids and now the greatest joy in our lives, the grandkids. Uh, but I, I would think she would say, you know, she just saw something in me in high school. I can tell you what, she, she saw things in me I didn't know I had. There's no oh, doubt about that. that. And even to this day, she'll say stuff to me that, honestly, will piss me off. You know why? Because she's right. And I'm a stubborn Irishman, and sometimes it takes four whacks of the baseball bat up the side of the head before I get it. And But then at the end of the day, I walk out, oh, yeah, she's right. You know, It's just that part of me that... I don't like, but it's the part of me that she knows. And so, yeah, I, I think she just saw things in me that she would like to be with. And, and, and I think she was correct because it's been 47 years in August. So can I, oh, my God. Happy anniversary. Can oh, yeah. I add one little question to that? Because sure. I think it's so important. I mean, you hear 47 years. I know what we're only been? we're only we're only fifty seven years old. It's a great deal, you know. We got married. Oh when my we were god! Ten. Amazing. <laughs> so you got married when you were ten. I remember that. I was <laughs> yeah. there. I was five. Yeah. Um, but Mike, what would you say is the secret towards having this wonderful forty seven year marriage? And like you said, I mean, let's be real. There's always going to be challenges. But what is the secret to you two um, being where you are today? I, I think it's communication. Yeah. Being open and honest with one another. Uh, you know, it, it's, a lot of times you can get into your own world and, you know, she, she can get into her own world. And she had her business for so many years. I'm doing what I'm doing and working it, you know, active and, and uh you, you can find yourself separating because you've got these own worlds, but you've always got to come back together for what's the real part, you know, the, the life part of the relationship. And I think we've always done that. We've always been on the same page with uh, raising our children. We're on the same page with the grandkids. We're, we're just alike like that. And uh, I never really saw myself with anybody else, and I don't think she did or ever has either. So... And, and it goes by, my gosh, it goes by so fast. I remember our 25th wedding anniversary, and I remember, you know, now people and friends are talking about, oh, my God, the 50th, what are you guys going to do? I go, I don't want to think about it. That means I'm, I'm three more years older, you know? <laughs> we both, same way, got 50th, get out of here. Let's not talk about that yet. So I think the strength of communication is key, uh, good, solid communication. And, you know, I've officiated five or six weddings and at every one I, I tell them what my 
mom and dad used to tell us all the time, uh, when you're married, never go to bed mad at one another. Yes. Figure it out before you go to bed. And yes. don't, you know, don't go to bed mad at one another. So we've always kind of done that. We've done that. And we're here today to talk about it. Amazing. Yeah. That's such great advice. I love that advice. I was given that somewhere too. And it's so true. So, so Siri, true. how do you, how do you think our sport is doing out there right now? You know, there's so many different factions in the sport. It's all great. It's all about racing, whether it's Ironman or PTO or a sprint or whatever it may be. But overall, how do you think our sport is doing? I mean, I think, like you said, there's so many amazing different things happening, you know, with Super League and PTO and Ironman and Challenge, all these different opportunities. I think that's amazing. It shows the growth of our sport. It shows, you know, that there's so many different options available for everyone. I think a really good thing about it is that athletes will find themselves at a place where they think about, well, what part do I love the most? You know, am I doing this for the money over here? Or am I doing this because this has been my dream since I was a 13 year old? And so in some ways, I think having so many different options at first might lead to people being like, well, God, I don't know which direction, you know, I should go in. But I think the gift in that is that it brings them to a place where they have to kind of connect to why they're doing this in the first place and what are they looking at, looking to get out of this. Um, personally, for me, you know, I sometimes yearn for the olden days, you know, where it was simple. And I, I think the greatest race in the sport forevermore will always be the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. I think it's just... Uh, I hope that that's there forevermore and that people always see it as kind of the, the crown jewel. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, part of me yearns for the olden days, but another part is like, this is amazing. There's so many different opportunities for people. I get a little nervous. Um, I, I just want people to stay connected to what matters most to them. What makes them feel alive? What is, you know, why did they do this in the first place? Stick to that. Do that. Don't feel like you have to go somewhere because everyone's telling you you need to go do this. You need to go do that. Do what your heart is pulling you to do. How would you answer that same question? Well, that, I, I was thinking about that when you were answering. I, I have a little trepidation also. I mean, I love everything that's going on. And even though, obviously, my world has always been connected with Ironman. People don't realize I've announced so many different Olympic distance races and sprint and I'm about, I'm about triathlon and, and the sport growing and people getting into swim, bike and run. Cause I know what it's going to do and, and to help enhance their lives. But I, I also believe that we as a sport need to do a better job of being a little more cohesive and, and being able to just like in the marriage I talked about, having that communication factor so people are talking to one another. You know, competition is good I because competition makes one stronger. I've never gone, you know, in my sales career, uh, I, if someone came along with a better deal and everything, you know, it made, it made you better. You had to get off your ass and go, all right, I've got to do this and do that. So competition makes you better. And there is good competition out there with the events in triathlon. But we can never lose sight of what we're all trying to do is help the sport grow. And, and I hope, and that's not for me to say because I'm not in that world on the, 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 the event ownership side or the management side, but that I hope that the communication opens up and becomes stronger because I think 10 years from now, if that happens, we're all going to be much better off and we'll have loads of people doing triathlon. Uh, you know, not just people watching the Olympic years or people just watching, you know, Kona or one PTO. You know what I mean? They're, they're into the sport. So with me, it's just hoping that the factions uh, communicate and, and help make this sport grow. I love that so much, Mike. And it makes me think of, you know, I many times in my coaching career have had 
like five of the top athletes in the world training together. And a lot of times in the beginning of those squads, people would be like, I don't want to train with her. She's my biggest competition. I have to race her next week. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I would say to them, hey, you train together. You are going to be way better than you could ever become on your own. You are going to push each other to become that much more than you could become on your own. And I think that in this situation, what you're saying, and I agree with you 1 million percent, is together we can achieve so much more. So let's not try and take away from the others or pull away from the others. Let's unite, come together, bring out the best in each other and witness this sport grow to you know levels that it's never been at before. So I love how you said that. And I agree, agree 1 million percent, you know, don't, um, see how we can help each other get stronger. See how, when we come together, we can achieve so much more. Yeah, there's no doubt together. That's the key. So why, uh, well-documented, I'm very aware of it. And so many people are in your Believe Ranch and Rescue, rescuing, uh, horses and, and uh, having them on your ranch. Why, how'd that become so very near and dear to your heart, Siri? I mean, totally unexpected. I rescued my horse five years ago, and I had nothing to do with horses, didn't know how to ride, didn't know how to take care of a horse. Rescued this horse, and she changed me. What do you she mean? Just, you, did, you, did you, you just wanted to go out and find a rescue, or you wanted to have a horse of your own? How'd that... Well, okay, so I had gone out actually to write my book surfacing in California in Los Olivos, and every morning I would take my dogs for a walk down the road. And half mile down the road, there was this little farm at it. It was like a one-acre property with a horse in it. And I would stop, and I'd kind of feed the horse some grass, and eventually, you know, we started really forming this connection. And I'd never had a connection with a horse before. What I knew is whenever I left, I'd spend about 15 minutes and I would get home, I would sit down and I'd start writing and I just felt so centered, so grounded. And when we left, we were driving home from Los Olivos, my amazing wife, Beck and I, and I said, stop, I need to go into the store. And she said, that's a saddle store. What do you need in a saddle store? <laughs> And I went in and I bought this cowboy hat and I came out with this cowboy hat on my head and she looked at me and she said, oh my God, you look ridiculous. When are you ever going to wear that? And I said, well, I'm manifesting having a horse one day. Turns out we get home and the same bike ride that I had done every single day for 20 years, I looked to the right and it says Colorado Horse Rescue. I'd never noticed it before. Rode my bike in... I won't tell the rest of the story, but basically a month later, I had a horse. And this horse, you know, when you develop a relationship with a horse, you learn so much. First of all, they're mirrors to, to us. They, they can read our intention. They validate congruency. Like they, they are, require that you be fully present in every single moment. Basically, in these first few months of having this horse... She showed me parts of myself that I never could have imagined existed in me, a courage, a bravery. And then I got sick. And she was a huge part of my healing, not just in preparing me with that bravery and that courage for what I was going to face, but coming out of it to... um, I, it's, it would take a whole conversation here to talk about the healing power of the horse. But what I started doing when I got healthy is we started running equine-assisted coaching programs here. Basically equine therapy, but I can't call it that because I'm not a therapist. But the things that we see, veterans with PTSD, after years of countless medications and therapy and, you know, we have one veteran every 22 minutes is committing suicide. Mm -hmm. But equine therapy has proven to not only prevent veterans from committing suicide, but getting them off their medications, preparing them to be able to, you know, effectively take on the talk therapy that is the typical approach. Um, 
you know, horses, uh, there's a thing with prisons. You know, I don't know if you know much about prisons, everybody, but let me fill you in. We, it's, you know, prison reform is like a $65 billion thing. Yet 67% of prisoners end up being rearrested and 52% of prisoners end up being reincarcerated. But they started using this program with wild horses called the WIP program, where the idea was that the horse, the prisoners were going to gentle the horses. But what ended up happening is the horses gentled the prisoners. Mm. And in working together with these horses and learning how to create a relationship, it cut the recidivism numbers in half. So basically 780,000 prisoners did not go back to prison. Wow. So there's true research in the healing power of these beautiful animals and I don't. I totally didn't answer your question, Mike. No, but that was I, perfect. I hope that was. It's just super. They're super powerful animals, and I feel so blessed to be surrounded by them and to be able to witness their healing of human beings. How many? How many horses can your ranch handle? Well, we have thirty-six right now. We've saved one hundred and ninety-six from slaughter. Oh. Um, many of whom have gone on to heal humans through equine therapy, mm-hmm. but. Um, it's powerful, and you need to come visit. I I, so, I I guarantee I will. I'm putting it where I'm going to be there. I want to see the place. I want to see you guys. Uh, I will visit. I promise. Now, Mike, my question for you: What is your favorite? Speaking of therapy, what is your favorite personal therapy besides riding your bike? Which oh I know is yeah. Uh, do you have a guess? Hmm. Surfing. Oh, it's not like physical, like riding a bike or sur- surfing or anything like that. It's 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 landscaping, architecture. It's it's taking care of the uh, the 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 bottle cactus and the, all the plants and the succulents. We've got a big yard, and it's I just you know what happens, especially during the pandemic. I would I would go and buy another plant. I'd learn about it, put it here, put it there, and 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 the yard. It's just it's it's my domain, and and I go out there, and it's funny. I'll, I'll say uh, say it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and I already did a workout or something. I'll say I'm going outside. She goes, Yeah, you're going to work in the yard, and it's amazing that. And I have a landscaper that she comes and helps and does a lot of big stuff, but I'll cut trees down and do all that. And then I'll, I'll fill a full garbage can of, I go, where did this stuff come from? But I, I just am always making sure everything is growing and watered. I've got a drip system. And you know, if that breaks, I can fix that. And uh, so it, it's just a real therapy to go out there and just hang out there for two hours and do stuff and see how, see how everybody's doing out there. And so <laughs> I just love going out in the yard and doing the deal. You know, my daughter bought her house, uh, the, the yard needed work. And I said, Aaron, I'm going to come on over and okay, dad. Yeah. She had no idea. I brought stuff. I burrowed through that yard. I got rid of crap. I filled two big bins up. She goes, what'd you do? I go, you had a lot of crap around the yard, you know? So I just, I just love doing that. It's a good, it's physical. It's a good physical workout. I sweat my butt off, but, uh, but it's, it's my therapy. It really is. Amazing. And I feel like that sets you up to being able to do the same in your life. Like, oh, I'm no longer going to do this stuff. Put that away. That's clogging things up. Like, do you find that it kind of translates over into your life? Yeah, it it kind of does. You know, you you stay organized. You're you're getting things done when you want to get them done. And and I can uh, compartmentalize where I can do one thing. And then, uh, you know, when I go to Ironman and you know, I go on an Ironman trip for a week or five days. Uh, you know, the yard's not going to be taken care of. But I come back, there'll be more for me to do. So I kind of look forward. To, All right, stuff's going to be growing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's my because uh, I, I come home. Rose says if she doesn't go with me, shut up and don't say anything for a day because you know the voice will be beat up. So I'll just go out in the yard and play. You know, amazing. So give me. Go ahead. No, your turn. It's your turn. But I had one more. I don't know how much time you have, but I had one more important question. For okay, you. we'll go. We'll go back and forth. I got one more, and you got one more. Uh, 
age groupers, and you've been close to them for so long, and, you know, they go from, you know, sprint race, 13 years old, to 80 years old. I mean, the age range is amazing. And they've gone through a lot of crap over the last three years, like we all have. Races being canceled, deferring to this race. Now they can't go. I had a gentleman come up to me at Lake Placid and go, you know, I've been waiting four years to get this done. I go, four years? Well, the pandemic's three, and then we had a kid four years ago. But now he's, you know, all these things. And so what advice, because there's a lot of age groupers out there who haven't been able to race and, and uh, train like they want to. What advice would you give to them, Siri? I would say focusing on what you've missed out on, what you haven't been able to do, you know, giving COVID and missing out on these races a meaning that disempowers you, like this has been so hard and I haven't been able to do this, I missed out on this, I can't do that, that's not helping you. So I encourage all of you to focus on, well, what did come out of that time? Were you able to spend more time with your family? Were you able to work on things that you don't typically have time to work on? Like, what do you have in your life now that wouldn't be here if you hadn't gone through that? You know, who wouldn't you be today had that not happened to you? Because... I like to look at, you know, COVID as, hey, you know, we all became a little bit more resilient. We all became a little bit more creative in how to run our businesses or how to get our workouts in or how to do the things that we want to do. Like focus on what you have now because of that time. Focus on the good that came out of it because that's going to give you energy. And that energy, when it is time to go race, is going to serve you so well. We can't think about what's missing or what we lost. Let's focus on what we gained, what we have. And now, you know, we now, the world is open again and you will race. Think about all the reasons why you're going to have that much more to give on race day, that much more hunger, that much more appreciation for the fact that you're racing again. You focus on all those good feelings, that's going to lead to the most memorable experience and many, many more. Perfect. All right, one more. What do you got? What do you got for me? Bring it on. Okay, Mike, (laughs) with Ironman, I mean, like you said, some people are racing triathlon from 13 into their 80s. What do you think is the thing that draws not only draws most people to triathlon, and let's be specific with Ironman, but what keeps them coming back for more year after year after year? I think it's because they are constantly transforming, not because of daily life struggles, because they set this big, hard goal, and they want to achieve it. I I think life throws us so many curveballs that, when we can kind of control our own destiny and do the things that we have control over, like the training, the getting the nutrition, the whole deal, and getting to the finish line, they, they see who they become through that. I, I think that's what really drives most of them to come back. And sure, people have to lapse because things go on in their life, new job, they move, they travel, the kids, you know, the whole deal. But... Uh, I, I, and I said it in the book, it's not about you finishing, it's about who you become when you cross that finish line. And they don't always know that. They know during training, especially first-timers, we had 623 first-timers in Lake Placid doing their first Ironman. So you oh. just can imagine the buildup of the anticipation and the nerves and the training when they came to that finish line. And during that time, they were transforming into someone they didn't really know it, but they liked them. And then they come through the finish line and they're, they're brand new. And I think every time someone sets a big goal in life and they achieve it, they become someone new. They become someone greater. And that's what racing and endurance event does. That's what Ironman does. They, they go through the journey. It's tough. It's hard. They want to quit. They find that they may quit sometimes, but then they come back. They keep the journey going. Then they get to the finish line, and they go, oh, my gosh, I am something else in a good way. So I think it's that 
aura of them transforming themselves and always finding someone new. And, and we as people love to raise the bar. And once we do, there's another bar that we want to raise. So that's what I think it is, Siri. I think it's that comeback of, of that feeling of transformation, uh, being able to cope with things, and then getting to the finish line and going, guess what? I am somebody else, and, yeah. and I like them. <laughs> that is so cool. That's just awesome. Mike, I could talk to you for 10 days, but <laughs> I don't know if everyone else would want to sit here for 10 days listening. But Well, when I come out to the ranch, we got all kinds of talk. I'll get on... You you put me on a uh, one of the bikes. You can you can yell at me for two hours while I'm training. You know, <laughs> <laughs> deal. And I'll just I'll ride beside you on my horse. How's that? That's oh my, my mode. No, you you gotta let me ride a horse or two. I gotta be able to do that. So <laughs> one million percent. You can't come here and not do that. So I know. It's a I know. <laughs> Siri. Well, the Siri Lindley, Mike Riley, Mike Riley, Siri Lindley, back and forth dueling interviews. Thank you very much for this. This was uh, unique, and I loved it. Uh, you are a very special person, and you enhance our sport more than you know. And, and uh, you being able to get up there on stage with somebody like Tony and put out your message, uh, I know you know it's a blessing, and, and keep doing it. because. And I can't wait for that next book. Can't wait. Send me the first Mike. copy, okay? <laughs> oh, I promise. And, Mike, thank you. Thank you for being such an incredible beacon of light in this world and the gift that you bring so many every single day, including me just being a part of my life. I thank you so much for that. And, um, I know you're just going to continue shining your light and doing your thing and being a gift to this world. So thank you so much. Thank you, Siri. Give a, give a kiss to Beck for me too. I will. She sends her love. All right. Thank you everybody for another edition of find your finish line presented by active ice, the official Topical Pain Relief Partner of Iron Man. Get it on Amazon, at Walmart, at Ironman.com. It is always an honor knowing that you're listening. And But remember, the voice in your head, the one telling you to do the things you need to do, that's the one you need to listen to first because it'll always tell you the truth. Take care of yourselves, everybody. My warmest aloha. <laughs>